get up here and preach, if you've ever preached up here, and you feel like you're encouraging. Sometimes you get up here and you feel like you're giving people water to grow in their salvation. Sometimes you're fertilizing. Sometimes you're spreading the seed. Today, I kind of feel like a tiller. Like I'm going to stir some things up. And um, that's not always easy. Um, I don't have notes, just so you know. Partly because every time I worked on my sermon, I changed it. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I never, get, this morning I was changing it before. So I apologize, no notes, but we will be in Jude. Okay? We're going we're gonna to walk through the book of Jude. Second to the last book of the Bible. Most of you got phones or a Bible, one of the two. So you can go ahead and pull it up and um, be looking at that. When I was growing up, I, w I never wanted to be in a circus, but they always interested me. And so, and I never was scared of heights, but the trapeze people just, they just, they just get your attention. So um, I, I come across a uh, guy that used, gave an example, and, and the, he was talking about a trapeze uh, artist person and you know if a trapeze artist does their job they're doing flips they're doing things they're going from one thing to the next and and all this kind of scary stuff <clears throat> but what if that trapeze artist hung out on the net but never really got up never really took it seriously just kind of hung out on the net or if they did get up on the on the swing and they jump and oh, I missed. I'll get it next time. Would you even call him a trapeze artist? You know, anybody can do that. Anybody can hang out on the net. And so he's referring to the trapeze artists as Christians and their abuse of God's grace. You know, we all know that grace, we're saved through grace. God's grace covers all multitudes of sins but what happens after we're a Christian and so today I want to talk about not the positive side of grace but how that with with salvation comes responsibility of God's grace okay so um so we have a responsibility of that. I got a, I got a, <clears throat> I always hated growing up, and my dad was a pastor, and he always used us, me and my brothers, as illustrations. We loved that. But you know what? I do it too, and so I'm going to do it now. <clears throat> Winston has been bush hogging for me for several years now. I can drop him off, he can bush hog, I'll go back and pick him up. Well, one time I showed up, and it was crazy. There was, it was like zigzags everywhere. It was all over the place. I mean, there were spots missed. There was, I mean, it was, it was weird. Like, how do you even drive that crooked? And uh, he goes, man, I was just really tired. I thought, and you stayed on the tractor? <laughs> how do you do this and stay, you know? How do, how do you sleep and drive a tractor and bush hog at the same time? Did he bush hog the field? Eh, mostly. Mostly he bush hogged it, but did he do a good job? Did he really try? No, he didn't try. He was too busy being distracted by his sleep and being more out from probably staying up to 3 o'clock. But uh, so that, 
that's kind of, we, we, we've got to focus on what we're doing as Christians. And so, in Jude, Jude was one of four brothers of Jesus. So, not counting his sisters, Jude was one of the brothers. And he wrote this book, he was writing it to Christians. So this, you know, sometimes, uh, mostly like Paul and different John and different one wrote to other churches. And that's what, that's what Jude was doing. We don't know who he was writing to, but he was writing this, this letter. And he was discussing how that people tend to take uh, grace and their own, put their own desires above their Christianity. So they were dealing with um, people that were coming into the church that would, was also trying to influence other people, but they, were, but they were using grace as a justification to do what they wanted to do, which was wrong. And so, because you can't have your own desires and justify them and, and, and do what's right. And so they were, they were uh, actually sexual immorality is what they were doing. I mean, it was, and, and then they were justifying it. Well, God will forgive me. Yeah, God's grace, he'll forgive. God says he'll forgive all of our sins. All we got to do is ask. So I can do what I want. And so that, that, that's what they were trying to teach. And so um, these men taught an incorrect understanding of grace, which made grace into license for immorality. And so um, the first, he, he moves through quickly through some examples of this. I'm going to cover the whole chapter, but I'm going I'm to like skim through it, okay? Um, but so, in being said that, be sure you go home and read it, okay? Because there is a lot of stuff in this book of Jude that he discusses. And if you... If you just read through it, he's like, well, I don't really get it. Well, study it. Because um, the first example is the Israelites in the wilderness. See, the Israelites had left Egypt, God had delivered them. They was on their way, and they were going through the desert, and they were on their way to the promised land. And they started complaining and bickering, and they uh, refused to allow, and God refused to allow them to, to enter the promised land because his blessings and deliverance and receive the blessings and deliverance because they were complaining and they're not doing what he wanted to say. So he gave them grace into delivering them, but they lost focus and started complaining, well, I don't want this, well, I want that. And so God's like, well, then you're not going. The second example is of the angels. Now, this one is, is to clarify, this is in Genesis 6 is what he's referring to and also Enoch 1 because at that time the Israelites also consulted other books that's not in our Bible, but they were still uh, religious texts. So they were living with God in heaven, the angels were, and what happened? They started sinning, they, they, they thought they were better than God, and God kicked them out. So another example of how that, that uh, pride got in the way and, and, um, and God removed them from, from himself. And the third example is the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we all know what happened there. The men were perverse. They were sexually immoral. And God destroyed each and every one of them. And so each of these examples are rebellions against God's order that led to immorality. So God will not tolerate um, our willingness to sin, our blatant willingness to sin. So grace will cover anything we commit, but to abuse sin or abuse and sin against what God is wanting and living in true repentance is not serving God in humility, and he will not tolerate this abuse of his grace. So, and then Jude, in verse 11, he begins to tell us some other examples and how that this is not anything new. 
like at that time, that's old now, even when Jude was writing this, but at that time, it had been going on for hundreds of years. And, and uh, he, he talks about Cain, how that Cain uh, chose to not do what God wanted. He worshiped uh, and sacrificed God, but began to disobey, which led him to killing Abe, and later built a city where violence reigned. He also gives an example of Balaam, where Balaam refused to speak what God wanted him to, which led to him luring the Israelites into idolatry and sexual immorality and corruption. <clears throat> and then there's Korah, which rebelled against Moses and Aaron, gathering 250 men. And he, in his sin, caused the whole demise of his whole family. They were all destroyed. And so he moves through these pretty quick because the Israelites would have already known like this was something they were told weekly and monthly. I mean, it was stories and, and, and things from the past that was handed down and handed down. So when he just mentions them, they knew what he was talking about. So um, next is some interesting examples that he, he talks about how the, uh, what, what these people are like. So this is what they did. Now this is what they're like. So they're blemishes in your love feast. So, gorging themselves on others' generosity. Sounds like some fun people. Just come up and eat your food and then leave. And so, and shepherds who feed only themselves. So, they're, they're disregarding the ones that they're responsible for. And so, clouds without rain. What's the purpose of a cloud without rain? Nothing. Autumn trees without fruit and are uprooted. So, they're twice dead. They lived all year long. They produce nothing. There's no point to them being there. Wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Lots of energy and action, but no purpose or productivity. Uh, wandering stars looking good for a while. I mean, we all see a star shoot across the sky sometimes. It's pretty, but um, there's no, you can't guide with it. You know, if, if you were to, people guide their way with the stars, there's, there's no way you can do that. And so they're useless and untrustworthy. So Jude is, is taking all this, he, up to this point, has taken, his point is to show the, um, the character of these men. He's not discussed them personally, but he's showing that their character is false and their character is wrong and their character is not what God wants. Their grace is not bringing salvation. The grace that they are teaching is not bringing salvation. And so um, in, in Matthew 5 or 17, uh, it says that uh, Jesus is talking. It says, by your fruit, you'll know them. And that's what Jesus, uh, Jude is doing here. He's saying, these men's fruit is showing that they are false. And so don't trust them. And, they turn, and so they do two things in their actions. They turn the grace of God into a form of ungodliness and an excuse for their actions. And secondly, they deny God and Jesus by placing their own desires above the teachings of Christ. So how a person lives is the most reliable indicator of who they, what they actually believe. So how you act is how you believe. You're not going to act a different way than what you believe. You know, if, if I'm doing something that, that you know is wrong and I'm justifying it, that's my character. You're going to see that. By my fruit, you'll know me. And so we've got to be careful of that. And, and then uh, on through that, he, he uses some examples from the Old Testament. 
and he uses some examples from the apostles. And then he uses an example from, from uh, Jesus where Jesus is, says corrupt teachers will come and distort the good news. So what do we do as Christians in this situation? Let me read verses 22-23. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful for those who doubt and save others by snatching them from fire to show others mercy, fixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So he emphasized prayer and faith. So not only are we to watch out for people that like this, we're to, watch, we're, we're to search our own hearts. Because I promise you, there's times that I put my own goals and my, uh, the things that I want to do, and I want to justify it because I want to do it. So I can still be a Christian and I can do that. Can you? We have, we, uh, um, Christianity is, is um, it demands a whole life response. We can't be part of a Christian and part of something else. We can't live for Christ some days and then in the evening we not. It's a whole thing or nothing. And so... We need to search our hearts and, and, and know our intentions. Because you know what? Christ knows our hearts. We know our hearts. But sometimes we can even disguise our, or um, be mis, mislead ourselves if we're not, if we're not uh, careful. So um, also we, need, we, are, we do this by loving Jesus and loving others. It's like uh, Jude discussed here. We, we, we work out our faith through loving God and loving others, and then we display that through obedience. We grow in obedience to God. When God tells you to do something, you do it. And so um, that's how we grow, and that's how we help other people. Um, we were watching a documentary on Corey Tinboom, and I pulled something from that. And she said, I will serve God in my strength, and I will serve God in my weaknesses. In all situations, we serve God. We don't justify the wrong that we're doing. And so if, if we're having to justify, if, we're having to, if we have to like, tell others and ourselves that, uh, that it's okay, that's, that it's just this, whatever, it's this, that, it's probably wrong. It probably is wrong. And so um, it, it's a constant battle to, um, to grow in Christ. It's not overnight. We're not perfect ever. It's one step at a time. And so, um, I don't remember when it was. Last fall, I was, I was heading home from church, and you'd come up there by Union Road, and you got a stop sign, and then you got another stop sign. Well, I was coming um, the other direction. I just eased up to the stop sign and went on through. Well, as soon as I started pushing the gas, there was a cop right there on the corner, and he pulls me over, and he goes, um, just kind of blew through that, didn't you? <laughs> well, yeah, I did. And um, so, anyway, he, he pulls my information, and he checks it, and he comes back, and he's like, um, just, just try not to do it again. And um, I said, you know, I, I promise I will try to stop at that. But, you know, I, I've been going to church here 10 years. I bet I've ran that light or that stop sign 90% of the time. <laughs> I'm in a habit now. And so... I really do intensely try to stop at that stop sign now. But 
There is times that I don't. What if I just eased up to it and went through every time? It's like, he didn't give me a ticket last time. And, and um, so I don't really try. But if I am, like I'm trying to do now, pull up and, and think about it and then actually stop, I'm attempting. We're not going to be perfect. I'll run that sign again because I'll forget. But that doesn't mean I'm not trying. And so God's not asking us to be perfect. He wants us to do our best. And he'll bless that. And so um, the, the true nature of God reminds us of the love of God and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and moves us toward holiness and to be more Christ-like. Um, so I want to read a, 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 a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you... Most people probably heard of him. If you read the book, it's long, but it's good. And so he, he, was, a, he was a phenomenal uh, Christian. So and it, and it's in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. And he's talking about how grace without price and grace without cost, everything, can it, can it be had for nothing? And so it says, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without the... With, Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all he has. It is the pearl of great price to which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ. For who... For whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble it is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift must be asked for at the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is a grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man's life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. However, above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought with a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is the grace because God did not reckon his son too dear to pay a price for our life, but delivered him for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. I got one more example. We've all seen like an abusive spouse, known people that, you know, their, their husband beat them and stuff. And then the, the, my grandma was this way, and her husband was an alcoholic, and, and he'd beat her, and, and then all of a sudden he's going to church, and he's doing this, and he's, he's donating money, and a and this and that, and apologize, and then before long, he's doing it again. And then she'd get put in the hospital, and then he'd repent all over again. And then once she got out and everything was good, just an endless cycle. What do you think about people like that? Do they really care? Do they really love that person? You think they do, and they got a problem, but do they really love that person if they continue to abuse the relationship that they're in. 
it, it's hard to say yes. And it's hard to say yes when we as Christians abuse the relationship with Jesus time and time again. Our heart's got to be right. Not perfect, but right. And that's what God wants us to be. So, um, in closing, I know this, this stirs my heart up. And I hope it stirs y'all's heart up. And, um, and it's tough to talk about, are you really a Christian? You know what I'm saying? Are you really a Christian if you're doing the same thing over and over? If we're justifying our wrongs, are we really a Christian? But I think we need to be stirred up sometimes. We need to question our motives. We need to question what's holding us back. Because sometimes we're praying and praying for things to happen, and we're the problem. And if, if, God, if we don't allow God to show us that, we're going to stay in that problem. So at this time, while they sing, I invite you all to come up and just search your hearts. And, and if you find that you're in the wrong, good. Fix it. Because it's not permanent. We're not in a permanent state of demise. We're in a permanent state of growth if we choose to be. And allow God to work in our hearts and work in our minds to be better Christians, to be more firmly rooted, so that he can use us for his glory. And that's the whole point. So at this time, I invite you all to come and, and pray and, and um, spend some time searching yourselves. And, and it's not just a today thing. Searching your heart should be a daily thing. Because I do things wrong daily. So I've got to fix it daily. But I want tomorrow's wrong to be different than today's wrong. Because if I'm doing tomorrow's wrong the same as today, I hadn't grown. Okay? Let's spend some time in prayer.